Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon. Today, I will be speaking to Sam McFeeters. Mr. McFeeters is a writer of books, a journalist, a visual artist, and a retired musician. His current project is Reality Breakdown, an ongoing online newsletter on Substack that focuses largely on the horrific wonders of modern technology and what may await us in the future. Sam, thanks so much for joining me today. Yes, thanks for having me. Um, first of all, why do you create it all? What do you get out of it or hope for with it? What's the point? Oh, that's a broad question. Um, I don't know. I was a little late to figuring out that I've always been like this. Uh, I lost a project 10 years ago. Um, it was a radio drama that my band did. And I was so mortified that I put so much time into something and then no copies of it survived that I decided to start archiving everything, uh, which made me eventually um, go back and archive all the stuff I did as a kid. And I've always had little projects, just weird little things. I did a lot of comic books and calendars when I was a kid. I was a published author when I was 12, which is a long, strange story. But I've always looked for different outlets. When I got involved with hardcore punk in my teen years, that offered so many outlets that I just did things only within that realm for 20 years. There was a point in the mid 90s where I went back to my hometown, Albany, New York, upstate. Where are mm -hmm. you? Where are you calling from right now? Phoenix, in, Arizona. Arizona. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So upstate New York, I had kept uh, a trunk of all my most valued, valued stuff from my childhood, drawings, high school yearbooks, just stuff. It got left in my dad's house. He sold the house and somehow the trunk just stayed in the house. So I had to ask the owners nicely if I could come in and get the trunk. And I remember looking at these folders and being shocked by all the writing I'd done as a kid. And I had just forgotten how much I'd wanted to be a writer for a while through a lot of my 20s. I just spaced out on that being my goal. Um, I don't know what the drive is, though, that has me do it. I just know that I'm not very happy if I'm not doing things. Uh, I was always the guy when I was on tour with bands who was constantly trying to do little fanzines. I'd say for as many fanzines as I've done, I've, there's probably almost an equal amount that weren't done but were attempted often when I was on tour because I'd get bored and just felt like I didn't have a creative outlet. Um, geez, I don't know how to answer that question any more precisely. What do other people say? Well, first of all, you did great. And okay. secondly, honestly, I think it's kind of along those lines. Like if I ask people outright, even if I ask myself that outright, it's kind of like a, I kind of know, but I also don't. It's just kind right. of like, if I'm not doing it, then it sucks. Yeah, I think that's the answer. Most people probably have in the back of their heads now that I think about it. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I've never found anything in my life that gives me more pleasure than writing. And it took a while for me to accept that. 
certainly riding on extreme deadlines or under adverse conditions. Uh, I had to write an article once where I had a horrible toothache and was on Vicodin and because uh, I was about to get a root canal and that was awful. But if it's not something like that, I really enjoy it. And I don't have any days that go by where I'm not working on writing. Even if I'm traveling somewhere, I do a lot of writing on my phone, a lot of dictation on my phone. And I, Is that how you mainly write is through dictation? Well, it was, but then I updated my goddamn phone's operating system and the dictation's really screwy now. But yeah, I um a novel that I published had published in 2016, I'd say most of that I dictated to my phone and then those are the basic notes that I'm working on. I don't think I really write the way other people write. I I don't really have one particular stage of what I'm doing that I consider the writing stage. I take a lot of notes, constantly editing stuff. And uh, it seems like there's no one stage where it's just what people think of as writing, just sitting down and composing thoughts. For me, it's always just refining stuff. And the part where I'm not refining is just the part where I'm usually dictating into my phone, often late at night, now often uh, with the aid of marijuana, which usually helps me mm, clear out my thoughts. Uh, it pr definitely lets me have a second pair of eyes on whatever it is I'm working on. God damn, I try so hard in interviews to keep straight with the question, but now I've given you this weird answer. What was the question? <laughs> um... Well, we were we were just initially talking about, uh, I think, well, we were talking about why you create, but then we started talking about you like dictating in your phone and whatnot. So was there yeah. a um, like reason that you preferred that at the time to just like typing proper? I don't know how to touch type. I sort of touch type, but it's it's this weird hybrid. I use my right hand for A, S and shift and my left no wait my left hand for as and shift and my right hand for everything else but i have to look at the keyboard while i'm doing it i'm still not that fast when i'm typing and it was really nice back in what i now realize is the golden age of me talking to my telephone and having it understand what i'm saying it was nice that i could bypass all that i could just I don't know. I remember watching Mad Men and see the characters in Mad Men talking to dictation machines or dictating to their secretaries. I'm like, wow, that looks really convenient. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah when Don so Draper does it. kind of do that. Right. But now my phone just hears the words differently. It seems belligerent. It's like belligerently misunderstanding me. I guess really what how I should think of it is this is the golden age of my phone belligerently misunderstanding me. Really... I'm probably going to be living the rest of my life with machines I can dictate to perfectly. So maybe I should just enjoy this little period where things aren't perfect. That's kind of how I view a lot of CGI in films. Like I really like watching, this is stuff I write about on reality breakdown. I like watching. I like seeing the scenes. I like still being able to see the flaws because we're right at the tail end of that movies in, I don't know what, five years, definitely 10 years you won't be able to spot the CGI. It'll all be flawless. It'll all be photorealistic. And I've sort of extended that thought out to other technologies that 
are now mandatory for living. So if I'm following you correctly, you're saying that kind of like the way that diction will will fuck up and whatnot as it does that like that's kind of that gives it almost like a human quality to an extent that's going to be like lacking in a few years when just like everything is like super slick CGI AI. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, I think it's more like I'm complaining about this thing that's very brief and it's also a funny problem compared to how I live life in the 20th century. I used to have days I would have research days where I would go to the library and have lists of all the things I wanted to research for things I was writing about, often in fanzines, things that had very small audiences. But I just felt compelled. I had to write these things. And so I would go to the library and spend the day doing what I can now do in minutes or seconds on my phone. So... I am conscious of the fact that I should just appreciate all this stuff. And if I have to go in and correct a few more words, obviously I'm conflicted. You're hearing a lot of emotions here on different sides. Of it. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it, it seems even just like the writing and reality breakdown, you seem kind of conflicted about the, sure. the, the future of all that, which makes sense. Yeah. One of the reasons that I'm writing reality breakdown is because this stuff really scares me. I feel like I've, a lot of the problems that people are talking about right now with AI I've been writing about for about 10 years and there was a long period where I couldn't discuss these things successfully in public formats because people were like, what are you talking about? You, you know what machines are going to write songs. That's crazy. And all of it happened really quick and it's very scary. And it's good for me to have this outlet so that I can sort of try to digest all of what's happening very quickly. But some of the feedback I get is that it's, really depressing for other people to read. So then that becomes the challenge as well. How do I make this material not just digestible, but also like palatable and not super depressing? Um, where do you even, cause yeah, your reality breakdown seems extremely well-researched, but like, where do you even Does start it? with that? Well, I've had these notes this book I wrote in 2016, or that was published in 2016, but which I wrote this time 10 years ago, I just have all the notes for that. There was way more stuff that I wanted to put in that book. I've just kept up with these notes throughout. So I'm starting with a lot of material. The problem for me is not how do I come up with the subject for a sermon every week or something. It's how am I possibly going to fit all this stuff? into this one project. And I haven't done that successfully yet. Um, also a side effect of this is that I'm hoping that this is going to make me a faster writer. It seems like it already is. As far but, as like writing about like uh, things like AI and whatnot though, like where do you even, it's so broad and there's so many conflicting and even just like what you're talking about, how like stuff is deep faked and whatnot, I'm sure that even comes up when like trying to research something like this. So like, I'm curious where you would even like, what's, what is ground zero of that? Well, really there is none. You can go in any direction and hit AI at this point. So that sort of frees me up to write about whatever I want. I can write a lot of reviews and all those reviews tie into the subject matter. Um, I can be as subjective as I want. So I guess when, not if, I run into a story that inevitably I 
can't verify one way or the other, then I think I have the tools at this point to be able to write my way around it. It's an interesting challenge. Whatever it is, it's not there yet. It needs to be faster and funnier. And I think I was upfront with everyone in that I'm going to be working through some of these issues online and in real time and in front of people. And that's what I'm doing. And it's meant that I have been in front of my computer a bit more than I've wanted, but I think eventually I'll get it sorted out and, uh, and it will be faster and funnier. Do you um, write everything that you're posting that week, like the week prior to it, just to like keep up with whatever's going on in current events like at the time? Yeah, no, I have, um, well, let me see right now. Right now I have, as of today, about 7,000 words worth of notes. That is 1, 2, 4, 6, 12, 14, 16, 18, over 20 pieces that are, I'm edging in on them. And for me, a big part of writing, I would imagine for everyone who writes a lot or who writes for a living has their little tricks that they use to bypass panic. And so for me, that's just having a wide body of stuff that I'm always working on. I'm always plugging things in. It seems like that gets my brain running, I don't know, subroutines, things where I'll be out driving or running errands and then I'll I'll figure out what the problem with the sentence was. And then I just make a note in my phone, email it to myself. I know in the morning, the next morning, that that but that email is going to be a correction for this other thing. So it's sort of like I'm constantly sending little notes to my future self. It's just this dialogue with myself that goes on and on. And I think if it was just one piece, that would be nerve wracking because sometimes things don't work out. Sometimes you have pieces that just are crappy and you thought it was good the whole time and you cannot be precious about stuff, which makes for, painful decisions sometimes, but at least it's my schedule. I just finished a a profile for cream that I think turned out decently, but I, because of some other stuff that was going on in my life, I wasn't able to finish it until the absolute last minute. And they actually gave me another day to work on it. And uh, that final day was really grueling. It was unpleasant, but it was interesting to me that it gave me feedback on myself where I'm at as a writer. I had a thing in 2009, I went to Obama's first inauguration. I wrote about it for Vice Magazine and it was just a 2000 word piece. I had lots of notes. It was a really interesting, weird event. And, but I'd never done 2000 words on deadline. I mean, it had, it was very timely. Like, hey, we sent Sam to the inauguration. Here's his thoughts. And I didn't finish it on time. And I wound up staying at a friend's house and just writing for days and days. And it's not a good piece. There's nothing memorable about it. Maybe there's stuff in there I can rewrite later whenever I have the nerve to go back and look at it. This gave me feedback that obviously something has changed, although I was just a mess while I was finishing this piece a couple of weeks ago. I did it. I knew exactly how to do it. I had all the tools to do it. What I turned in was decent. I think it's a decent, readable piece. And the only way I was able, it was like a good systems test that wasn't fun or presumably healthy for me, but it's probably good every now and then for me to get those assessments of where I am. There are 
so many writers that I like, and I just, I don't get how prolific they are. People who have really just, their sentences are really solid and they make you think about stuff and they make you laugh. And I don't know how someone does that day after day. I'm really curious about that. The, the, I don't know, the newspaper columnists that I've read or people on Twitter. I would like to be one of those people, but I'm not there yet. And I would assume the only way you get there is you just keep doing this crap. And then eventually by the time you're in your late eighties, you get good at it. And then you have a couple of good years and then you die. What percentage of what you write do you even end up showing people? Of everything I write? Yeah, just like anything anything you're writing. Like specifically for like your, you know, creative outlet or whatever. Not necessarily journalism, but... Well, I, I do a lot of writing. So I would say since 2007, I do a lot of private writing. Uh, the example I gave a friend a little while ago is... This was a few years ago. I was listening to the cars at night. And then suddenly the light, little cartoon light bulb winked on. And I thought, oh, I need to get down on paper what my feelings about the band, the cars are. I'm not going to do anything with that. I just file it away. But it's a good exercise. And if you do that, you know, part of it was we have a friend, uh, my wife and I have a friend who is a very good portrait painter. And she works on paintings every day. She's tried to do a portrait every day. I think that's probably really ambitious even for her, but she just does essentially drills. And that really inspired me. And so I'm kind of doing the same thing. So way less than 50% of what I write at this point, I think is stuff that I'm ever going to show anyone. It's just stuff that I'm doing to get myself faster to, uh, slowly chip away at whatever my blind spots are. Um, there's lots of things. I don't know. Fictionally, I don't know how to write really good romance. I don't know. Scenes stuff. I, I've tried. And I just, it's a mystery to me. I don't know how people write about uh, great romances. I, maybe at some point in my life, I'll figure it out. But I have a lot of things like that. I feel like I feel like I'm the artist in high school who's like, oh, yeah, you, you're a really good artist. How come you don't how come all your people have their hands behind their back? And you said, well, I don't know how to draw hands, you know, mm -hmm. that, that's in, that's interesting that you have tried to write romance scenes, because, yeah, I would imagine I've never tried that myself, but I would imagine a lot of the times people write it to either be like erotic or to tug at the heartstrings, neither of which seems like your style. So um, that's that's interesting that you've uh, that you've tried well, your hand at that. Well, one of my favorite books is The English Patient, which has this really sweeping desert romance at the heart of it. Uh, I'd like to be able to write lots of different styles. I would love to be able to write young adult fiction. And this was a recent revelation that I don't I remember so little about that world. And so I just started reading young adult well really getting young adult novels i haven't finished any yet but i have a bunch i think that would be a neat thing to do i'd love to write children's books no idea how to do it even though my wife is a kindergarten teacher so i'm exposed to a lot of children's books so it's more like i'd like to reserve the right to be able to write a good love scene or a good sex scene i guess those are those are just two examples of 
like love scenes and sex scenes are things that people get notoriously wrong. So maybe that's part of the challenge for me is I've read so many bad ones or I've seen ones online that people have pointed out like, wow, check out how bad the writing is here. And I would like to be able to do the opposite of that, but cannot yet. I used to read a lot of John Updike fiction. I don't mm -hmm. now. You ever read me John Updike? I've read the first two rabbit books and, I, yeah, and I've when, been meaning to finish the last two. So you enjoyed them. Oh yeah, no, it was, it yeah. was, it was very good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it takes a certain, like, it, 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 it's weird to read some of it in the, in the 2020s and whatnot, but like, obviously mm. he was like a masterful writer. Yeah. You have to put aside now increasingly the politics of what he's doing, although his politics are complicated or the sexual politics or whatever. There were some specific things that I learned from him about writing. He was kind of the writer that unlocked me being able to figure out how to do a lot of things. And he writes a lot of sex scenes and a lot of weird romance stuff. And a good deal of it is really fucking icky, just gross. Mm -hmm. And so it's been interesting for me to read what he's doing and pinpoint like, okay, that's, I'm never going to write something like that. Like what this guy just did is really disgusting. That's not what I want to do. So I think that's part of the process is figuring out all the negative things as, as well as the positives. When you're reading something or really getting into an author or whatnot, like, is it the sort of thing where you make notes as you go along either in your head or physically as far as like different tricks or sentence structure or whatnot that they employ or is it more so like through like a natural osmosis that like later you'll be writing something and then you'll just kind of like naturally write a certain way because you're reading updike or whatever i think there's the bad osmosis that happens where you can inadvertently rip someone off it's been a long time since i have caught any sentences like that, but have definitely found some sentences where I was clearly influenced by someone that I was veering a little too close to something they had written. That's got to be a natural human phenomenon. I do take a lot of notes in books. I find with fiction that things that I read that are tools for me, which I'm reading constantly, even in books I hate, uh, sometimes I will take notes within a fiction book, usually... I do that thing that that people do when they read where they they know where they can locate something on the page. They remember its location. So if I really need to find something, I can flip through a book, even one I've read decades earlier, and I kind of remember where on the page it was located. And with enough hunting, I can usually get it. I take a huge amount of notes in nonfiction books. Sometimes... Uh, I'll keep sort of like a side tally on the back leaf of a nonfiction book for fiction ideas. I've got to have a lot of them and I don't really tap that resource ever, but I feel like at some point they do. I'm still making the switch to audiobooks. I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks through the library because they're free. And I don't want to listen to anything that is going to be so important to me that I would need to take notes. So that places a very strange limitation on the types of fiction I can listen to. But generally, physically, the books that I own, I, I just treat them as tools unless there's something I violently hated and didn't get anything out of. I'm just going to hold on to it because the odds are higher than zero that at some point I will need that physical book, that there's something in there that's going to 
show me how to do something or how not to do something. Hmm. I, um, I've been having a similar struggle with audiobooks. I've been trying to do it more and I enjoy it to an extent just because I have like so much time where I'm doing something, but I could also be like, you know, listening yeah, to an audiobook or doing anything. Yeah, it helps you like, reclaim a lot of downtime. Yeah. Yeah. Not just like getting stuck in your own head or whatever. Yes. Um, though the idea of just get, getting like mentally lost is a lot harder. Whereas like if I get, if I realize that I'm zoning out for a couple pages, like with a book, then I can roughly figure out like where I was and then return oh, back yeah. to it where it's a lot harder with an audiobook. So I've been trying to like get better at that. Yeah. I only have that happen with one thing in audiobooks. It's funny if something in an audiobook or something I'm looking at while I'm listening to the audiobook reminds me of someone that I'm pissed off about and mm-hmm. this could be something going back decades I will instantly throw the book aside in my mind. And I'm just thinking about how pissed off I am at that person. And then suddenly I was like, wait, I'm listening to this book. And then I have to go back a couple minutes. It's only that one thing that does it though. Usually my concentration is, is right in there. I, I recorded one audiobook. I did it for mutations and it was really interesting getting to see the innards of that process. And so I pick up on all these little things you can tell when they've spliced in a different recording, you can hear the the person's intonation changes a little bit, or they're a little bit more nasally or something. And you can tell, oh, this is, they had to punch this in weeks later because they mispronounced a word or something like that. So sometimes I'm just paying attention to that. I'll just listen. If someone is talking and then their voice, the timber of it changes or something, I'm always drawn out of the book a little bit because then I'm listening for it to change back because I know now that they had a day where they're doing pickup lines and they just had to go in and do one or two sentences. And once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. It seems really sloppy. And, but that's the reason it's so sloppy is because there's no reason to make it not sloppy. You haven't noticed this, right? I mean, I've listened, I've listened to mutations, the audiobook, and I didn't, I did not notice anything like that, oh, okay. but yeah, I've never recorded an audiobook, So I don't, uh, I yeah. probably don't have that insider info that you have. So that makes sense that you would notice it. Yeah. Funny story about mutations. Not really funny is, uh, when I was recording the audiobook, I had just was attempting to switch antidepressant medication to disastrous results. And I had a complete nervous breakdown the morning that I started recording it and the whole way I was driving there to the studio, the studio is really far away. I was trying to decide if I was just gonna go to a psychiatric hospital because I just felt completely insane. And what I have gathered from people is that that does not come through in the narration, which I consider a total triumph because I was a complete train wreck that day. And I'm wondering if I should listen to it because I roughly know what chapters that corresponds to. And I wonder if I can hear the difference in my voice uh, now that I'm saying it out loud, no, no way I'm going to do that. That sounds horrible. Okay. But I'm I'm sorry you went through that. Like that's, that's always a really you oh. know, hard t- Those first like couple weeks, few weeks or whatever are always like kind of weird. I mean, weird. it's weird. I knew that intellectually, but I just, it's weird. It, it didn't register that anything could go wrong. Like, oh, I, I'm doubling my dose. So I'll feel twice as good. And then when it hit, it was just, boom, I just went nuts yeah or, or you'll just you'll, you'll feel fine for a little while and so you'll be like oh maybe the side effects weren't so bad and then like you know yeah. one day i'll be like oh no yeah um Oops. do you have a favorite book oh uh, like one you mean fiction or non-fiction either both 
I could give you a handful. Um, fiction, the English Patient, some of my favorite novels. I get that that's an, well, they're all acquired taste. What's a really good book is Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Been meaning to read that. It's, it's so antiquated that all the racial politics, even though she's on the right side of history, all of that stuff is really wiggly and weird. Like she's, she's very patronizing. She does a lot of stuff that would be extremely unpalatable in the 20th century, let alone the 21st. But just as a book, it's really well-written and gripping. And there are several sections of it that are as harrowing as any horror novel. And there's also a really good escape, like something that could have been in uh I don't know. The mechanics are like a good season of Breaking Bad or something. Really good book. Ugh. I I've always considered myself to be an H.P. Lovecraft fan first and foremost. Although I don't think anyone would ever pick up on his influences in my writing. I feel like he was the key influence on my writing. I don't have any favorite one of his novels, but how was he? How was he an influence? I don't know, philosophically, in that his his basic thing was that people don't know shit about shit and the universe is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And you can go in a lot of directions with that. I don't think his prose is something I, I love his prose, but he's kind of ridiculous. Have you ever read any of his stuff? A little bit. I, I, I definitely appreciate it, but like it, it's 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 pretty dense it's a bit much yeah Yeah. also the racism there's that in his life was way more hardcore than his books and also my understanding was that he evolved by the time he died he was pretty young i think he died in the bathtub because he wouldn't he had a tumor he had a massive tumor and at the end he was like well i'll just take a bath and then he died in there but towards the end of his life my impression was that he really had changed a lot of his hardcore racist shit uh that he's obviously a super acquired taste there are when non-fiction books and i don't know if i'd say favorites i'd say more like they're books i would really like to write myself uh there is the rebecca solnit book river of shadows you know this book i don't think so Rebecca Solnit is uh, one of these writers who covers a lot of ground and uh, I haven't always, she, she was credited with inventing the term mansplaining. I, if I remember Mm. right, she herself said, no, I didn't invent it. Uh, She just, but she wrote or she published this very slim volume, men explain things to me. And it's, it's good. It's not groundbreaking, but it feels like in this other book, river of shadows, which is sort of about the history of photography but really it's about this period of immense change in the United States that coincided with the beginning of photography and the dawn of railroad. And she just sort of goes full throttle as a writer in, in this. It feels like she's just, maybe the other stuff she wrote was like a systems test and this was just her just going for it. And I, I recommend that book to everyone. I don't think there's anyone who wouldn't really get that book. I, I guess it's a tad dense, but it's really gripping. Uh, I'm looking at other stuff on my shelf. There's other books that I've read that 
that influenced me profoundly got world war z by max brooks oh that's 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 a masterpiece yeah yeah and when you tell that to people they kind of look at you like you're crazy because first off it's a zombie novel and like i no zombie novel has the right to be good at this point and the movie was nothing you know the movie wasn't good or bad it was just an expenditure of money but yeah that book is really incredible and definitely the level of knowledge that he has in so many fields I remember reading it thinking like, that's, that's what I want. I want to be able to write with that authority about a lot of different things. And then also it's just terrifying. I read that book on vacation in Australia in broad daylight. And I was really, really scared. Um, Or maybe I brought it with, anyway, wherever I read it, I was, I was reading it in the daytime with people around and was just terrified because I wouldn't read it at night. It was just too much. Yeah. Um, I watched a Zoom interview you did a couple of years ago. I'm hazy as to the details of what I'm about to ask about, but you were talking about working somewhere. It may have been Vice, and you brought up some sort of like filing system or something that you were using for your writing and people like looking over your shoulder and being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, do you do you know what I'm talking about? And yeah, do you want to uh... do, do you feel like sharing stuff about that? Yeah, I was a replacement producer at KPCC, the local NPR station, for less than two weeks. And there's an open floor plan. So you're just writing a lot of copy very quickly, which I'm not good at. And I hesitated when doing it because people love looking at whatever screen you're working on. If anyone's in the room, that's just a natural human thing. Your eye is drawn to the screen. And my stuff is all color coded, especially if I'm working fast. I I just I need that to know what it is I'm looking at. And yeah, at some point I realized there were people gathered behind me not saying anything. And I looked over my shoulder and everyone's just staring at what I'm doing like I'm crazy. So that was a little bit of a bummer. I, I really, really don't like when people are looking at what I'm doing while I'm doing it. That's a really bad feeling for me. I... I don't ever discuss any project I'm working on with literally anyone. There's no friend, not my wife, not my therapist. I feel like if I'm writing a book, you're going to, you can read it when it's done. I don't really write notes in such a way. People have often said, well, you, if you're stuck on this thing, send it to me. And I just try and explain, I can't, you wouldn't know what you were looking at. It's just this big mosh pit of words in different colors it wouldn't really make sense to you and i guess that's different from how other people work but anyone who writes a lot not even for a living but just who does a lot of writing as a hobby they've got to have some weird system they've built because ultimately the number one hurdle in all this is to trick yourself into being able to do the work and there are so many hurdles placed in your way of doing that, that whatever system you come up with, I think is, if it works, then by definition, that's the right system. I've gathered that other people do not do what I do. They just sit down and just try and compose a thought and write. You know, the other thing that's crazy to me is these fiction writers, Stephen King is the champion of this who announced, oh, I never come up with the ending of my book. I just start writing. And to me, that's madness on 
so many levels. And I did, I recently wrote a film script where I tried to do that. And surprise, it's not a great script. I just, it, I feel like if you're writing fiction, you have this huge advantage, which is you're working, you're working in four dimensions. You can go backwards and forwards in time. You can make yourself sound smarter. You can, you also have the power to make other people sound stupider if you want. And long, long ago when I did fanzines, I used to do a little bit of that before I realized how bad it made me look as a person. But so do you map out like everything that you do in advance? I'm assuming like when you write written novels and whatnot, you just like, yeah, yeah, do it yeah. All first. I, I can work on notes while I'm doing it, but those notes just kind of sit somewhere until I figure out where and how they work and what the connectors are and um, where the repeat info is. That's a really big one because you could have, you, I've, I've had several times where I've written passages or even a paragraph that I was really proud of. And then, Months later, I realized I'm just doing the same thing I did elsewhere and it's got to go. And it's always painful, but that's that's another big part of it. Is you just cannot let yourself get precious about anything, which is a weird trick. I've had now several books that I really, really believed in when I wrote them, one that wasn't published. And... Uh, as soon as that's done, I just dump all that info. It's, it's, it feels like it's like when you're driving, if you've driven a couple hours and you get where you're going, you can't remember anything that happened on the drive because your brain just dumps all that info immediately. It's not, mm. you're not supposed to hold on to that. And what I found is that writing books and long articles is a lot like that for me. Sometimes when I'll go back into something to edit it, I just don't remember writing stuff or I have jokes that are clunky or I can't even figure out what my thought process was. It's a really weird experience for mutations. What I, one of the things I learned is that it's totally possible and acceptable and fine to go back and re-edit old things that weren't good and make them good. And that's helped me to be a lot less of a perfectionist. I have music pieces that I've written recently that I think were totally fine for publication, but I know there's a few things there that need to be sanded down and whatnot. And I'm just going to leave that for my future self because it's, I'm not going to get it now anyway, you know, but maybe me in a couple of years will. So I'm assuming, cause you, you, you're kind of saying that you are just working on stuff all the time that you don't really have like a set, like I'm going to, work on stuff between this time and this time and i'm going to aim for like this many words a day or you know stuff like that i've done that i've done that when i'm doing books i try and have a set word count just so that i i have something to shoot for i do that less and less now also i've made a really bad discovery like two weeks ago which is that i can reach a point at night when i'm really tired and i can't read Usually I've been spending my time just watching TV and it was just garbage time. Was, I was just locked into this bad habit. And it dawned on me really late in the game that I can write for as much as I want. So now often I'll write from about maybe 1030 till two in the morning. I'll just write until I'm utterly defeated. And it's, and I'm just bumping into walls as I walk a couple rooms to go to bed. So I guess that's kind of my schedule now, but it does not feel healthy. It's not a good thing. 
What TV have you been watching? Uh, oh, God. We lost our remote control. So all we can watch on TV now is YouTube. Um, literally, it's just a matter of going to Best Buy and spending, I think it's like $12 for a new remote. Haven't done it. So sometimes I just let YouTube show me stuff, which is interesting to find out what an algorithm thinks of my personality and can lead to a lot of good discoveries and a lot of disturbing stuff. But I haven't watched any shows in a while. There's too much good TV out there. It's a little daunting. My attention span is shot from social media. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, I just wind up watching random videos about like bridge collapses or um, dead whale explosions. That's a whole genre. Have you ever seen those videos? I like can't say whales. I have. Yeah. Beached whales apparently will explode. And there's a lot of people around who uh, like to videotape it. I'll just get YouTube will put me into these weird things. We're like, hey, we're going to spend a week watching exploding whales and um, washing machine explosions. That's a really good one. And you're going to love it. Don't worry about it. And um, it's great. It's just having this other mind curate stuff for me. And so the upshot is that that has made me so lazy that I don't even bother watching real TV shows. I'm sure the unpredictability of it too, like it kind of, guess, yeah, it it, it it expands your mind to some extent, even if it's like, you know, dead whale explosions, but like now you like, you are aware of that being like a thing in our culture. So yeah. Um, is there anything specific still on your creative bucket list? Creative. Yeah. Like you, you, you want to, you want to make a movie, you want to make a play, you want to, I don't know, just more I, books. I have been definitely working on screenplays for a while. Uh, I've pitched some, I've had some TV pitches. I've had some experience in that world. It would be great if it happened, but I know the odds are really far against me. So right now I treat it more like it's an interesting exercise. Uh, I have a lot of projects lined up and I need, one of the reasons I need to get faster is because I did the math recently. And if I go at the rate that I'm going now, which is publishing one book every four years, I won't have all these projects done until I'm 90 or 91 years old. And so I would like to change that. So there is, I guess, a bucket list, but it's just it's just work that I need to do. It's just this large workload. And I've completed one thing in that workload, which is mutations, which weirdly I'm pretty happy with. It's not a perfect book, but I it's what I wanted to do. Eventually there will be a revised edition with the chapters I didn't get around to writing, one of which is a profile of Kill Rockstars, the record label. Hmm. That's what I just finished for Cream Magazine. So that'll be out in a couple months and um, probably, hopefully someday that'll be in a revised edition of Mutations. Uh, I don't really have anything that I want to do that is creatively, that's aspirational. I feel like everything I want to do, I'm I'm good at. I'm good where I'm at. And also I've had a lot of dreams that were like that bucket list things that I have since abandoned. I really wanted to be a good photographer for a long time. That's not going to happen. I really, I wanted to be a drummer at one point. Totally not going to happen. What's um, on your general bucket list? I don't really keep a bucket list. Sometimes I try and make a list of what I want to do that year. Uh, I have a, Obviously, a lot of places I'd like to visit that I haven't been to yet. I've never been to Scandinavia. 
which seems weird since I'm kind of well-traveled. A lot of countries I've been to. My wife, when I met her, had been on a research grant in China and literally traveled to every corner of China, up to Mongolia and out to the border with Afghanistan and the tropical islands in the south and Tibet. And I've done some things like that in my life, but I haven't done that there. I've never been to China. So I don't think there's anything that I want to do that would be really surprising or you know, stuff like I'd like to go see Venice one day. And I finally did that last year. That was nice. Uh, or I wanted to get to Fairbanks, Alaska. And my wife and I did that also earlier last year. The the really, the, the only things that are sad for me are, is that, like I said, the list of things that I gave up. When I was a kid, I really wanted to be an explorer. I really, it was clear to me, I was, I'm going to hike. I'm going to go to the top of Mount Everest and I'm going to swim the English Channel and all this really physical stuff. And uh, obviously those are gone but I also really wanted to write science fiction novels when I was a kid. And so the fact that I've done one of those things, I'm cool with that. You know, that was, that was nice. And it was sufficiently arduous. And also I now know enough about like hiking Mount Everest, climbing Mount Everest that I wouldn't want to do that anyway, because it sounds horrible. Can I just say, um, I appreciate that you are willing to, publicly talk about the things that you wish that you had done or the things that you consider like your failures or whatnot, because I think similarly with myself and it is very hard to see that in other people that are like, especially in the age of social media when everything is just like a highlight reel, but just like anybody like talking publicly is just yeah. kind of trying to like talk themselves up about like yeah. all of like why they're the shit or whatever. So I, I, I appreciate that you're willing to share that part of yourself with people. Oh, okay. Glad to share my failures anytime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please consider setting up a small monthly donation at patreon.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. Or consider making a one-time donation at venmo.com backslash the creative curmudgeon. Until next time, so long.